to come, it'd be good to go back and, and get caught up if you can. Uh, Revelation 2 and verse 18. Let's see, we've covered, I believe, three churches so far. Ephesus was the first one. And then the second one was, anybody remember? Smyrna. And then last week we talked about the church at Pergamos. And today we'll start with Thyatira, see how far we get. And then the next one is Sardis. That one has my full attention. They all do, but Sardis, been studying about that, very interesting. But let's look at Thyatira here at first and see how far we get. Revelation, the second chapter, verse 18, to the angel, who's he really writing to? To the pastor of the church in Thyatira, these things says the Son of God. You need to underline that. We told you that in these salutations, when Jesus addresses these pastors, that there's things that he says, there's reasons why he says them. And you'll see why he particularly emphasized that it was the Son of God speaking to this pastor. And we'll see that in just a moment, but I'll just tell you right now, I can't think of anybody who outranks the Son of God. I can't think of anybody who outranks the Son of God. I said, I can't think of anybody who outranks the Son of God. Is that right? Doesn't he outrank deacon boards? How about elder boards? Yeah. He outranks the pastor. He outranks everybody, doesn't he? You'll you'll need to know that here in just a moment. Who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. Now, this letter is the longest letter of the seven to the least, probably the least important city. It's one of the smallest of the seven cities. But you realize everyone in every church is important to Jesus. And uh, Thyatira was close to Pergamos. We studied that last week. And it was known as the gateway to Pergamos. So it was smaller in scope, but yet there was a church there. And, and Jesus had some things to say. In verse 19, I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. Now that's a good thing. Remember, Jesus points out the good First, that's what he always looks for first is the good. He says, I know your works and your love, your service, faith and patience. Those are all good things. Uh, And then he says, as for your works, the last are more than the first. This was a growing church. It was a thriving church. It was doing very well. It was full of good hearted people doing many good Christian works, walking in love. But they had a doctrinal problem. We'll we'll see here in just a moment. Now, this was just the opposite of what was going on in Ephesus. If you'll remember, in in Ephesus, they did very well in doctrine. No false doctrine got into the pulpit. But they had a problem walking in love. They they, they, They didn't walk in love. Now, this church here, they walked in love. But they had a doctrinal problem. Notice verse 20. He says, nevertheless, Jesus speaking here to John to give to this pastor. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow. You need to underline that. Because you allow. The pastor was allowing something to go on in his church that displeased Jesus. It shouldn't have been going on, but the pastor allowed it to go on. You need to realize that Jesus holds the pastor responsible for what goes on in the church. 
You need to realize that. You need to understand that. And Jesus was was upset here because the pastor was allowing something to go on in the church that shouldn't have been going on. Now, notice here, because you allow that woman, Jezebel. Now, here's the thing. God has no problem with women preachers. You need to understand that. No problem with women preachers. I've had men get up and walk out when I've said that. I hate to be that way, but I'm going to stick with the word of God, not with somebody's tradition. Did you hear what I just said? So, so, so that you don't think I misspoke, I have no problem, the Bible has no problem, Jesus has no problem with women preachers standing behind pulpits. You need to understand that. Actually, the first one commissioned by God to preach the gospel, the resurrection, you know, of Jesus was a woman. Is that right? So God has no problem with women ministers. Now, God does have a problem when a woman usurps authority over her husband. And, and, and what God has more of a problem with is the husband allowing her to do it. Did you hear me? Did you get that? Now, it says that woman Jezebel, but if you get in and study this out, he's talking about her wife. You go back and study the original text of this and get into studying that woman. It was his wife. It was the pastor's wife. The only one in the seven. That's why I made such a big deal about a woman usurping authority over her husband because this wasn't... A lot of translations say this woman. You allow this woman, but it was his wife. You get in and really study it out. It was his wife. Did you see that? You need to understand that. This pastor was allowing his wife, Jezebel. Now, that was not more than likely her real name. These churches under a lot of persecution, Jesus tried to keep anonymity as well as he as much as he could. You understand that? And so it's interesting. He never referred to any of the pastors by name, did he? He said to the angel. Is that right? And here he says that woman, really, it's translated that woman, your wife. Jezebel was not her real name, more than likely. Why did Jesus use Jezebel? Because this woman Operated much like Jezebel in the Old Testament. Remember Jezebel was married to. Anybody remember her husband's name? Ahab. Is that right? And he, and he was a king. And she was a very domineering woman. She, she pretty well ran her husband in the Old Testament. And he allowed her to do it. You know a husband and a wife ought to be on equal setting. He ought to love her. She ought to love him. Right. And uh, but yet God puts the man he, in, in the responsibility position. You understand that? And it displeases Jesus when a, when a wife is domineering and dominates her husband. And it displeases him more when the man allows it to happen. I've had grown men over the years. 
Many times, many times, many times, many times. Nobody here that's in the church now, I'm talking to years gone by, sit right back in my office crying and crying like a baby. Said, I don't want to do this. God told me not to do it. And I said, well, why are you doing it? My wife wants to do this other thing. And I tell him, you ought to obey God. I told him, you ought to obey God. I said, you ought to obey God. Love your wife, but don't let her run roughshod over you. One man I'm thinking of would never call his name, but a long time, gone a long time. Cost him his life. I said it cost him his life. He's dead young because he let his wife run, run roughshod over him. Did you hear me? I said, did you hear me? I'll say it again. Did you hear me? So this pastor was allowing his wife to run roughshod over him and the church. And notice she called herself something. What did she call herself? She called herself a prophetess. Now, Jesus didn't call her a prophetess. She called herself a prophetess. Now, you need to be real careful and real watchful of a, of a man that calls himself a prophet all the time, referring to himself as a prophet. And you need to be concerned about a woman that calls herself a prophetess and puts the emphasis on that. I believe in prophets of God, that there are prophets of God still today and prophetesses. You need to understand the Bible's fine with that. But let God call you that. Let God assign you to that. Don't put titles on yourself and, and, and you know, emphasize those titles. People will be able to see what you are. Did you hear me? Be watchful of ministers and folks that put titles on themselves and emphasize those titles. Always referring to themselves as a prophet of God and be watchful of that. Did you hear me? She called herself a what? A prophetess. I met some folks that call themselves ladies that call themselves prophetesses. And not a one of them were, but they thought they were. And all they did was cause confusion in their family and in their church. Did you hear me? And I met some people, think they, fellas, think they're prophets. And they just m- mess things up. Real prophets aren't going around emphasizing their office. They just go around flowing with the Spirit of God, helping people, and you'll be able to see what somebody is. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. Now, it's interesting, he was allowing his wife, who called herself a prophetess, to usurp authority over him. And we'll see, stand in the pulpit. Can you see now why Jesus referred to himself as the Son of God? I'm talking, the Son of God's talking to you. Remember? I said to underline that a while ago. Why did Jesus say, the Son of God speaking? Because the Son of God outranks a pastor's wife. The Son of God outranks a pastor's wife who calls herself a prophetess. Even if she was a a true prophetess, Jesus outranks that. And this man needed to hear that. Because I'm sure that he went around listening, probably continuously, to his wife telling him that she's a prophetess. And probably saying, this is what the Lord is saying, this is what the Lord is saying, this is what the Lord... Be watchful of people that are every other word out of their mouth is the Lord saying something to them. Because he's not. I said he's not. I said he's not. 
I said he's not. Did you get what I just said? I believe God does speak to our hearts. Number one, he speaks to us through the holy written word. And he does speak to our hearts. And anything he speaks to our hearts lines up with the Bible. If it don't line up with the Bible, then it wasn't the Holy Ghost speaking to us. But I've, I've seen some of the nuttiest people, they call themselves prophets and prophetesses. And they'll get up regularly and they'll prophesy concerning the country. And every year comes around January, they start prophesying concerning the country. And they'll go on and I've, I've watched these and tracked these people over the years. And, and almost nothing that they prophesy ever comes to pass. And if something does come to pass, they have to... Now watch this. Here's some, another way you can tell when somebody is really not a real prophet. Is when they have to get up and convince you what they prophesied came to pass. Hmm? When they have to tell you, oh, well, we, uh, they're trying to convince you how accurate they are. Did you hear me? They're not prophets. They're confused. They, they, they prophesy concerning the land. Every, about every January, they start prophesying, and it's just a bunch of foolishness. I can get up and guess better than that. Did you hear what I just said? Bunch of nuts is all they are. And misleading the people and did you hear what I said amen what was this lady doing she was usurping authority over her husband probably going around the Lord told me this Lord told me that Lord told me this Lord told me that Lord told me this Lord told me that Lord I believe the Lord does speak to us but he's not speaking to us as much as what we think he is a lot of times. If we so many, well, he told me this, he told me that, he told me the other. To the point, what's the last thing he told you to do? And they can't even tell you what that that was. Be careful about people always prophesying stuff continuously. I, I know I, I can think of any number of them. You know, they're always hearing this from God, that from God, the other from God. If you start asking them about some simple scripture, what does the Bible say? They can't even tell you that. I think we ought to flow with the Bible more than what supposedly God told us. Can anybody say amen? Do you see what this man, this, this, this fellow, this, this pastor was dealing with? A headstrong wife. He would not keep her in check. She was no doubt running the church. You want a church where the Holy Ghost is running it. Thank God for my wife. She's never once tried to usurp any authority over me, or try to run the pulpit, or try to, I need to teach this, need to teach that. She's welcome anytime she wants to come in the pulpit and preach, more than welcome to do so. But she's not always after me. I gotta share this. I gotta do this. I gotta say this. I, not, thank you. I appreciate that. I want you to know this is not an isolated incident. This happens all over the country every week. We've run into some situations in some churches. I'm thinking of one now where we went to preach. I was invited to preach. Thank God for the invitation. And we, when we got there, evening service, a pretty large church, I was invited to, to, to preach. And so we came Sunday night service and we got there preaching at six o'clock, got there about five thirty. The pastor and his wife showed up about five, well, about 10 minutes to six, maybe five minutes to six, give or take. Looked like they just rolled out of bed. They walked up to us and said, we just got out of bed. 
Nothing wrong with taking a nap. But then they got into a deal, into an argument. Because he wanted me to sit on the platform and she wanted me to sit on the front row. And he wanted me to sit up while the worship's going on. He wanted me to sit up with him on the platform. She wanted me to sit on the front row. You know, I don't care where I sit. I'd just soon sit, if you know me, if you really know me, I'd just soon sit in the back or stand in the back. I remember when we first started the church years ago, I used to, uh, we met up in the school in the first several months. We met in the Falcon Room, then we moved up into the in, in classroom, then we moved up in the auditorium. I used to come walking in, you know, about five minutes after the service starts, stood up on the platform, then did that for a while, then moved into this building and come in, walk up on the platform, the Spirit, walk up, stand on the platform, did that for a while. The Spirit of God spoke to my heart. It was much younger back then. Aren't you glad we can learn? Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, don't do anything in a service to draw attention to yourself. So I stopped doing that. You don't want a pastor or any minister drawing attention or anybody drawing attention to themselves. We're here to draw attention to Jesus. And you want to attend a church where the pastor's wife isn't running things. Where the deacon board's not running things, the elder board's not running things, and the pastor's not even running things. You want to go to a church where the Holy Ghost is running things. And he's got a pliable pastor that, 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 that the Spirit of God is able to speak to the pastor's heart. and He's able to go into the Word of God and study and come deliver the Word of God to you. That's the kind of church you want to attend. You want to attend a church where a pastor is accountable to authority and accountable to a board, but not run by a board. Can you say amen? And that's the kind of church we've endeavored to have. You don't ever want a human being dictating, another human being dictating what the pastor is able to preach. He needs to be able to stand in the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, without being in danger of being fired because he stepped on somebody's toes. Because he stepped on the head deacon's wife's toes because she likes to gossip and the pastor got up and said, say gossiping's a sin. And so now the pastor gets fired or reprimanded. You don't want to go to a church like that. Did you hear what I just said? But if, you, if I get off into heresy and, I'm, I'm, and you think I'm, I'm out of line, you come talk to me first. Isn't that the right thing to do? And then you can, you, then you can uh, report to Raymond and talk to them. And they'll straighten me out. You understand? Because we're subject to them. You Okay. And if that don't work, you can talk to my wife. She'll whip me. No, no, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Oh, yeah, I can throw a little funny in there, can't, can't I? I remember I uh, had a fellow working for me years ago, and he wanted to know who I was accountable to. And I said, well, I'm accountable, you know. Ultimately, I'm accountable to God. But he said, well, no, who, well I'm accountable to Rhema. I said, well, and, and, well, who at Rhema? I said, well, at that time, I said, well, well, Doug Jones. Well, who's he accountable to? Well, Tony Cook. Well, who's he accountable to? Well, Pastor Hagen. Well, who, who's he accountable to? And I got stuck right there. And so I asked Tony Cook. I said, who's Pastor Hagen accountable to? And he said, Mrs. Hagen. <laughs> but he was joking with me, of course. You know the Rhema, they're accountable. they got a board of directors. They're accountable too. Can you say amen? You okay? So you don't want to attend a church where anybody's running it but the Holy Spirit. That's what you want. That's an ideal situation. You okay? Now this, this guy here had his wife running things. Oh, did I tell you? I, I almost forgot. So we're... we're 
we were at the church and she wanted me to sit. She thought I forgot. She wanted me to sit on the front row. He wanted me to sit on the stage. Are you okay? You are all right? And, and he wanted me to sit on the stage. She wanted me to sit on the front row. I don't care where I sit. Well, guess where I wound up sitting? On the front row. And this was one of those churches where she was running things. She was running. She was running, running the show. I remember the same couple saw him at a minister's conference at another place. And he was invited to preach. I shared this last week. It bears repetition. And he was invited to preach. She wasn't. He was. And he got up and he was. And, 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 and she kind of gave him the look. And he sat down. And she came up, yelled and screamed at the congregation, you know, for about 45 minutes. You know that's not God. God's not in on that. She thought she was preaching. She's yelling and screaming, going on. When somebody tries to preach without an anointing to preach, they sound like a carnival barker. Or an auctioneer almost. I remember one Easter I wanted to preach. The anointing wasn't on me that Sunday to preach. I was younger. I wanted to preach. So I preached that service. Hardest thing in the world to do is flow when the anointing of God's not on you. He was on me to teach that Sunday. But I wanted to preach. So I preached. And at the door I remember going out. The lady said, uh, one lady, I never saw her before or since. She was visiting. She said, you'd make a good carnival barker or a good auctioneer. Thank God for your honesty. You okay? So uh, you want to have the anointing on you. But be that as it may, she yelled and screamed at the congregation. And we've seen this again and again over the years where the the wives are uh, domineering over their husbands. I've just seen, I don't know why I'm camped on this here, but I've just seen so many situations so many situations where 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 the the wife just runs things and and doesn't and, and, and doesn't even consult the husband. I remember a couple came here many years ago and they attended for a while and they just got settled in and and uh, actually the the fella was just so happy here and she seemed happy. And he was so happy and he even volunteered to work on the grounds. And he was working on the grounds and just, just so happy, you know, and volunteering, you know. And they both had, well actually he had a full-time job and she, she wasn't working. And you know whether a woman works or not, it's between the husband and the wife. That's none of my business. It's, there's not a right or wrong on that, either, however y'all are led to do it. But I remember he came to me and, and it almost tears in his eyes. He said, we've, we've got to leave. And I said, you do? Why is that? He said, well, he said, I was at work and I came home from work and my wife heard from the Lord and said we needed to move to another state and so on and so forth. Didn't even ask him, didn't inquire of him. Just she supposedly heard from the Lord. And he just put his tail between his legs and went right on, followed her. Now, isn't a man supposed to be the head of the household? Now, is he supposed to domineer his wife and treat her like a doormat? No, no. She should stand by his side. He should be a benevolent, loving husband that, that seeks the Lord and finds out what the Lord wants him to do. She needs to be seeking the Lord. And how, what have we taught you? God leads to the husband and confirms through the wife. Remember when he was leading Mary and Joseph, he didn't talk to Mary. Who did he talk to? He talked to Joseph to go into Egypt, save little baby Jesus' life. Is that right? So we're not against women. We love women and God has a place for women. But there needs to be a proper order. Are you okay? 
I didn't intend to take so much time with this, but I just felt I needed to slow down and and uh, be sure that speaking to husbands and wives, anybody here or listening to me on the Internet, be sure you got the right order that God has. The man is the head of the household. He's not to be the dictator. I found out being the head of a household, the head of a church isn't all it's cracked up to be. It's like Fred Flintstone wanted to be the head of Slate Quarry. Remember that? How many remembers the Flintstones? And so little Kazoo, remember that Martian? He zapped it and made it so that for a day, Fred got to be the boss. Remember that? How many remember that? Oh, yeah. And Fred found out being the boss wasn't all it's cracked up to be. When Barney was going home, you know, his friend, guess what? Fred had to stay and do paperwork until all hours of the night. Then he had to go account to the board. Is that right? It's a whole lot easier not being in charge. I'll tell you for sure. A whole lot easier doing the nine to five and going home and let the boss deal with all the headaches and the problems of whether or not the company stays open. Did you hear me? But if you're going to be in leadership, it's responsibility. Real loud with everything you say, responsibility. Responsibility. Now, this pastor was not doing what God wanted him to do. He was allowing his wife, who called herself a what? To teach and to seduce. Now watch this. She wasn't in the pulpit teaching savory things, but unsavory. Notice, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. My, 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 my. You talk about false doctrine. Now we've talked about this. We talked about this last week and this was something that you saw was prevalent that was going on it was going on in Pergamus it was it was a uh, hooked into the doctrine of Balaam it was hooked into the deeds of the Nic- and doctrine of the Nicolaitans it was it was a it was a, a bad thing that was going on it came out of the, the Gnostic cult and remember we told you last week but we'll review just here here real quickly remember in these cities particularly in uh, right here in in Thyatira they had trade guilds and in order to have a good job, you had to be a member of a trade guild. And it's like being a union worker t- today. You know, if you want to make the better money, I guess you need to be a part of the union. Well, that was the case back there then. The only thing b- back there then is these trade guilds, there were so many temples built to these false gods and these Greek gods that usually most of the jobs, the good jobs, were found working in these temples to these false gods. And so... The, the, the fellas to get a good job had to become part of a trade guild and then they'd have to be associated with a temple to a false god. And they would have to attend monthly meetings at the temple. And at that monthly meeting, they couldn't just go and attend. They had to get involved with it to keep their job and be part of the trade guild. So what would happen is, is they'd have to go there and they would have to, because they'd take the food, they'd sacrifice the food to the false gods and then they'd, they'd prepare the food. And then the people, the, these guys would have to eat this food sacrificed to these idols. And then most of the time, these, these, these monthly meetings would turn into drunken sexual orgies. And if you wanted to keep your job, you had to eat food sacrificed to idols and you had to take part in these horrible orgies. And so, it's likely that Jezebel, this lady... Being a Gnostic, remember they made knowledge their God, 
And I talked to you about the Gnostics last week. But what she more than likely did, can't prove this, but it probably is real close. Uh, I need these fellows that have these good jobs to attend the church so the church can keep running so that I can get in the pulpit and teach and be a prophetess. So when I'm up there teaching and being a prophetess, uh, I need tithes and... Doesn't almost everything ill goes back somehow, it's hooked back up to money because the love of money is the what? And so to keep these guys with these good jobs in the church, I don't want to ruffle their feathers. And if I get up and tell them that it's wrong to eat food sacrificed to idols, and if I get up and tell them that, that, that it's wrong to, get to, to, to uh, uh, have, have, sexual, uh, have sex outside of marriage, I'm going to ruffle their feathers. And guess what? They're not going to stay in my church. They're going to leave my church. So, more than likely, she got up. And she began to teach this false doctrine that, hey, there's nothing wrong with eating food sacrificed to idols. Nothing wrong with that at all. And, and you know, uh, nothing wrong with sexual immorality. Because remember, the Gnostics believed that what you did in the physical body was of no consequence. So it's all right. Go ahead and have sex out of marriage. That's what was being taught from the pulpit. I'm say this now, I may say it again later. You know, it's hard enough to keep yourself sexually pure when the preacher is up preaching the word of God, uh, lovingly reminding you to keep yourself sexually pure. How many of you know it's hard enough to stay sexually pure here in the United States where this is a pornographic society? How many of you know it's hard enough to stay sexually pure when the pastor's encouraging you to stay sexually pure? But how many of you know it's a whole nother story when the person standing behind the pulpit is saying it's okay to go ahead and commit adultery and have sex, have sex outside of marriage? Did you get what I just said? I mean, it's hard enough to stay pure when the pastor's encouraging you to, to do what's right. But it's even, I mean, think about it. It's even triply hard when the, when the pastor's wife stand up there saying, it's okay to just go have a free-for-all in sex. And that's what was going on. Now, I believe money ultimately laid behind what she was doing because she didn't want to ruffle feathers. While I'm on it, I'll just say this. Be watchful of these preachers on television, radio, or wherever it is that's prophesying money out of their pocket and out of your pocket and into theirs. Can you say amen? Be watchful. I know there was a lady, I won't call her name, I should, but I won't. But she, she'd stand up there and she'd watch her. She's still on there, on, on there. I still see her on there once in a while. I hardly ever watch it just when I'm flipping through. But she'll get up and she'll say, she'll, whatever it is. She'll go to Psalm 23, you know, 3 or whatever it is. And she'll say, if you'll give $23.30, you know, then Psalm 23, 3 will go into action for you. Now, dear friends, I put that woman in the same class with Jezebel here. And it's time somebody stands up and says something about some of this stuff. And I'll go you one more. These people that come on there and tell you, well, if you send in your money by such and such time, that hundredfold anointing will go into operation and you'll get, you know, but you've got to give before midnight. Now, folks, don't, don't, don't fall for that kind of stupidity. You be a tither, you be a giver, you be consistent, you give as you're led, don't give as your arm's twisted. Did you hear me? One thing I've learned in studying these churches, so much of this stuff still goes on today. It's just wrapped differently. You okay? 
Now notice verse 21. Now verse 21 is a very encouraging verse. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. And she did not repent. Did God immediately come in and judge her? Did Jesus immediately come in and judge her? No. He gave her what? And something I learned about God is he never comes on the scene and just zaps you with judgment. He'll always warn and warn and warn and warn and warn. I'm convinced in my heart he gave her he gave her a long time to repent. And you know it says right here she did not repent. But if you study into that real close you'll find out it doesn't say that she did not repent. It says she did not want to repent. You know, there's a difference between somebody struggling with a sin, God's dealing with them on it, and they're, and they're trying their best to get free, and, 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 and they're trying to walk pure, and then they mess up, and then, and then they repent, and then they, they're walking right before God, and then they mess up, and, and then, and then they, they repent, and they get back, and they, they trying to walk right before God, and, and then, and, and they mess up, and they, and then they they repent, and they ask God to forgive them, and they, they confess the sin, and then they're trying to walk right with God, and then they mess up. I, I just described myself is anybody going to stand with me or are you going to have you ever had am I in good company there or not why do you say that about yourself pastor because if I if I live that kind of life struggle it'll help you too it's time we passed us one thing I like about Joyce Meyer she's just very real helps a lot of people I hope you don't think less of me I'm just as human as you are Anybody's ever struggled with something? You struggle, you try, you try to get it right. You st- huh? Huh? Try to get your tongue under control. Whatever the case. Yeah. This lady knew what she was doing wrong. She'd been warned by the Lord and she did not want to repent. That's what made it even worse. Now notice... Indeed, I'll cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Now, what does this mean? Does God go around making people sick? No, 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 no. What he's talking about there is he's getting ready to lift his hand of protection from her. And, when, and you listen, this, oft over, this often gets overlooked. But one of, the, one of the worst judgments of God that there is is if he lifts his hand of protection. When he lifts his hand of protection, then the devil's able to come in and attack. And he's the one with sickness and disease. Remember over in 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, you don't have to turn there now, but there's a man that he's living with his stepmother, having sexual relations with his stepmother. And remember the pastor of that church in Corinth was letting that go on. He wasn't doing anything to stop it. And that, that whole, they were all just proud, actually proud of it. And the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Ghost, wrote to them and said... You know, apparently this man had been dealt with. He wouldn't repent. He wouldn't repent. And ultimately, what God said is, deliver that man. This is in Corinth. Deliver that man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? That that, that, that man, it, you got to put him out of the church. They put him out of the church. God lifted his hand of protection off of him. And when he did, the devil was able to come in and attack him. And apparently the man fell ill. Good news over there in 1 Corinthians is that man did repent. Go Glory to God. He did repent. Say he did repent. He did repent. Jesus forgave him. And then guess what? The church didn't want to let him back in. 
And, and, and the Lord wrote to him there. Paul wrote to him in 2 Corinthians and said, let the guy back in. Aren't you glad the Lord forgives us? And what I don't want to, what I don't want to pass over, I just feel impressed, just being led here. Go back to verse 21. I gave her what? I gave her what? I, I gave her what? I gave her time. I gave her space. I need to emphasize that. Holy Ghost wants that emphasized. He'll give you time. He'll give me time to repent. And that time, a lot of times, is a lot longer than what we think it is. How many of you know he's long suffering and patient? But I also need, need to tell you, there is a time and a day where that Patience of God will run out. And he warned this lady. He'll warn you. He'll warn me. She didn't want to repent. And so he's going to essentially deliver to her to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. He's going to lift his hand of protection and cast her into a sick bed. See, his hand of protection comes off. Sickness is going to hit her body. And that's evidently what happened to the man in 1 Corinthians when sickness hit his body. See, people that know God, that are saved, when, when, when they get over on the devil's territory and sickness hits them, a terminal condition or something hits them, right away they're looking, I don't have much time to live here. I don't want to flirt with going to hell. What will they do? They will repent and get back right with God. See, that's God's motive in judgment is not to put the hammer down on you. His motive in judgment is to get you back living the way you're supposed to be living close to him. Even in his judgment, you see his mercy. He said, I'll cast her, verse 22, into a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. There's going to be turmoil in their life. But I like how verse 22 ends. Unless they what? Unless they what? Jesus is looking for our repentance right up to the last minute. Isn't that wonderful? Look at verse 23. And then he says, I'll kill her children with death. Now, if you just read that or surface value, it makes God look like a meanie, makes him look like a baby killer. That's not at all what that says. Study into it. Well, here's what's happening here. He says that I'll kill her disciples, those that follow her closely in her false doctrine. Not little babies, but disciples, those who follow her closely in her false doctrine. I'll kill her children with death. There again. You know, there is a judgment side to God. His hand of protection comes off. The devil will come in to steal, kill, and destroy. Much we could say about it, but nothing lay lay ahead good for these people, Jezebel and her followers, if they don't repent. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I'll give to each one according to your works. Sobering, isn't it? Now I say to you, And to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say. What in the world does that mean? I I, I think I can tell you what it means. Not 100% sure, but I'm pretty, pretty close. The depths of Satan. I believe this woman got up, this lady, this pastor's wife. And said, I have a deep revelation. I've got a deep revelation from God. I have a deep revelation from God. And I believe as they say, they were going around saying, this lady's got a deep revelation from God. She's got a deep revelation. from. We need to get over there and hear. We need to go out oh, and, and, and get these other people from maybe these other, other churches or whatever. And get them to come over here and hear her deep revelation. You need to be careful about people that say they have some deep revelation from God. 
I had to deal with this when I was much younger. I thought, well, I've taught the Word of God for all these weeks now and months now. I need to come up with something that will woo and wow the people and, and, and bedazzle them in some deep revelation. No, I was just fixing to get this church and, and the people at that time, some of you, into deep trouble. You don't need some deep revelation from God. You need a revelation of the Word of God. Did you, did you get what I just said? And one of the temptations that preachers are hit with is we got to give the people something new, something they haven't heard before, something that that will. And you know what? You get into that stuff. You just got you're going to get in right over on the devil's territory. Much of what I was saying about a while ago when I was talking about those prophets that prophesy every January. It's just like clockwork. They'll prophesy every January. You know, this is going to be the year of this, the year of this. Year, you ever, I get so tired of listening to this year of this. You know, 84, a year of, for more. 85, will come alive. 86, we'll pick up sticks. 87, we might go to heaven. I mean, give me a break. Come on. But they've got some deep revelation, deep revelation. I don't have any deep revelation. I just have the simple word of God for you. That's all I've got. If that's not good enough, then I just then I'm then I'm not the, I'm not your cup of tea. I've seen a lot of people get in deep revelation. Next thing you know, they're coming to church up in the front. Got a bunch of people up there barking like dogs. I mean, you know, that's not the Holy Ghost. One lady I saw on YouTube howling at the house said the Holy Ghost told her to howl at the moon. How many of you know the Holy Ghost is until to howl at the moon? That's just demonic power. Can you say amen? You alright? I say to you as many have, do not have this doctrine, they've not known the depths of Satan as they say. See, this woman had some deep revelation. Jesus wasn't pleased with it. He says as many as do not have this doctrine... Do not have this eaten things, sacrifice, food sacrificed idols, not committing sexual immorality. They don't have this deep revelation. He says, many do not have this doctrine who have not known the, the deep revelation is really of Satan. As they say, I'll put on you no other burden. Hold fast to what you have till I come. I want to hold fast to what I have. How about you? He who overcomes. Almost done here. He who overcomes. What, what do we have to overcome here if we're going to this church? We have to overcome who? Jezebel and this false doctrine. Is that what we have to overcome here in this church? That's what we have to overcome here, isn't it? This false doctrine, this false teaching. Is that right? Remember, there's two sides of overcoming. One is you're automatically an overcomer when you get born again. And the other flip side of that is we're supposed to rise up in the power of the Spirit and overcome some stuff. Is that right? And right here, to overcome here, you had to overcome this false doctrine. You had to not, not get sucked into it. Much more we could say. And keeps my works to the end. To him I'll give power over the nations. How many of you want a good assignment in the millennial reign of Christ? Be faithful right now. Stay, stay hooked into good doctrine right now. Serve faithfully in the local church. Can you, can you say amen? He'll rule them with a rod of iron. He'll be, they'll be dashed to pieces like potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, I'll give him the morning star. Anybody know who the morning star is? That'd be Jesus. That's a good deal, isn't it? He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You hearing what the Spirit's saying to the churches? You hearing what the Spirit's saying to you? At the beginning of this year, the Spirit of God told me to take this year and, 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 Focus primarily on the words of Jesus, which we've, been, we've obeyed him. We've obeyed him. We've done that. This is what Jesus is saying. 
This is the kind of teaching we need, what Jesus is saying. Now, next week, we're going to do the church in Sardis. And I want your full attention on, which I know I had your full attention today. But the next week on Sardis, of all the seven churches, that one, the next one next week's got my full attention. You'll be amazed to see what was going on in Sardis. Same thing we see going on today. Oh, I wish I could preach it to you and I just don't have the time. We'll do it next Sunday. Be praying for me that I'm able to get it out the way it needs to be brought out on Sardis. But I want you to stand with me if you would. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this will be a this will be a a, 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 a little pre a, a preview. That's it. Preview of next week. <clears throat> Did you notice that today there was nothing done in this service to try to entertain you? Did you notice that? Nothing that the worship is not geared. To entertain you. The worship is geared for you to come and enter into worship and worship God. You need to understand that. The worship that we have here at this church. They would not allow, and I'm getting, to, I'm getting to myself here, but I'm starting with the worship. They wouldn't allow this worship in the church in Sardis. We're going to talk about it next week. They wouldn't allow it. Because it doesn't entertain the flesh. And they wouldn't let me preach in Sardis. I would not be invited to preach there. The reason is I got up and taught the word of God today. I didn't care about a reputation. I didn't care about trying to build my name with you or look good or bedazzle you. I wouldn't be invited to preach in Sardis. Our worship team wouldn't be invited in Sardis. And Jesus said to the church in Sardis, you have a name that you're alive. You have a reputation that you're alive. Your fame is spread far abroad. You know what he told them? He said, but you are dead. Sardis was a church of the double life. Do you know many pastors and many Christians are leading a double life? Pray for me that I'm able to share what the Spirit of God wants me to say concerning this church next week. I want you to hear what it is the Spirit of God has been saying and is saying and will continue to say to us.